0: Maya Darsharam Epilogue, a schematic definition of Maya. The magic of words can be alluring. So let us attempt to give precision to the variety of terms found in the present chapter. The word Maya has already been used in chapter 1 verse 2, chapter 2 verses 3 and 7 and chapter 3 verse 8. In each chapter, it has a slightly different connotation or denotation. Even within the limits of this chapter, the content of the term is held between two limiting factors, which refer to wonder and fecundity. Also, it is important always to keep in mind Shankara's definition of Maya. So maya, that is Shankara's definition in Vivekachudamani, Chudamani, verse 108. Avidya, nisayens, or maya, called also the undifferentiated, is the power of the Lord. She is without beginning, is made up of the three gunas, and is superior to the effects as their cause. She is to be inferred by one of clear intellect, only from the effects she produces. It is she who brings forth this whole universe. We can now see how Narayanaguru Guru is able to improve the situation by giving a clear definition of Maya in the present chapter. This helps to clear up the confusing meanings of some of the terms such as Jiva, vital principle, and Brahman, the absolute, both related to Maya. It will be profitable for us at this point, to prove the advantages of the geometrical or schematic way of thinking. In the first and last verses, there is an indication of the element of wonder and the all surpassing and all comprehensive fecund nature of Maya. Maya is meant to have an absolute status of its own, and its overall character of negativity or nothingness is the only point on which it differs from the fully perfected and purified notion of the Absolute. The Absolute can be thought of as that which is Absolute among all that is Relative, or the Relative, capital R, of all Relatives. When cancelled out against its own counterpart, we then have the Absolute of all Absolutes, unnameable, formless and fully in itself, for itself and by itself. With no duality or rivalry. We will come to this complete unrivalled position at the end of the next chapter. In this chapter, however, a slight epistemological and methodological asymmetry is permissible and expected to be taken as normal. In verse 1, there are two ambivalent pairs called Vidya-Avidya, science-niscience, and para-apara, transcendence-imminence, as well as three other items Prakriti, Nature, Pradhana, Prime, Potent Power, and Tamas, Darkness. All these three have their ambivalence absorbed within themselves. They occupy a more central position in the scheme and are each placed at some point on the vertical parameter. At this stage, we shall try again to make clearer the implications of the schematic language we are using. First of all, there is a horizontal line of demarcation between the world of percepts and the world of concepts. If one writes the word red with a red pencil, or alternatively proves the redness by making red lines or scribbles, in this simple manner the conceptual, invisible, and perceptual, visible aspects are brought in clear distinction. This distinction has been the subject of metaphysical speculation from most ancient times. In Plato's Republic, Book 6, he resorts to the division of a vertical line into two parts with further subdivisions. The first broad division refers to the same distinction called the visible and the invisible, also called elsewhere the intelligible. The further subdivisions depend upon the clarity of the ideas they represent. For our purposes, we distinguish the two divisions more simply as the world of percepts, or perceptibles, and the world of concepts, or conceivables. On the basis of this distinction, the total knowledge situation, when thought of as a globe or circle, has a horizontal line passing through its centre, serving as a schematic reference. Above it consists the conceptual elements of knowledge, while below are the corresponding perceptual elements. Vedanta also recognizes this division by a nama-rupa, named form-distinction. Such a way of thinking is not foreign to Indian wisdom. And we find a masterful passage in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 13, verse 34, where this kind of schematism is fully evident. Those who by the eye of wisdom perceive the difference between the field and the knower of the field, its bearing on elements, nature, emancipation, they go to the Supreme. It is to the principle of the Cartesian coordinates that this new way of thinking in terms of analytical and geometrical forms has been a great improvement. It is not hard to recognize how Vyasa in the Bhagavad Gita as well as Shankara and Narayana Guru had the same type of structuralism in their minds in spite of the fact that none of them tried to give as we are doing in this present work an elaborate proto-linguistic form the possibilities of such a language. Let us now take the first pair of ambivalent factors in verse 1 called Vidya Vidya. This pair is meant to have a superior epistemological status, higher up on the vertical axis than the para para pair. The alternating circulatory process involved in the domain of science and science takes place around a centre placed at a higher level on the vertical axis. The figure of eight representing the alternatives as a living process taking place in a pure and more verticalized sense when the two antinomies or ambivalent factors are involved. The second pair which is para-para has a horizontalizing tendency a little more accentuated than the former pair. Here the transcendent imminent more closely approximates to the distinction of the knower of the field, Kshetrajna, and the field, shetra, as found in the above quotation from the Gita. We have also to note that the context proper to the first pair of antinomies, the question of happiness, sukha, and suffering, dukkha, does not occur. In the context of knowledge conducive to liberation on the one side and bondage on the other, sukha and dukkha become one degree more vitalistically real as an alternating process at the lower level with a central locus placed in the vertical axis, where this process takes place between the plus and minus sides of the total knowledge situation. When Narayana Guru points out that the vital principle, jiva, also a vitalistically conditioned self, is caught in a certain type of confusion, imagining itself to be alternately happy and suffering, such duality is abolished by merely stating as he does soon after. In truth, there is nothing at all. This is verse 6. Such a statement can be justified with the help of our schematic language when we say that the horizontal, which is the function of Maya, can be overcome by a philosophically trained mind, which, by its better understanding, refuses to recognize the horizontalized value implications where vital tendencies incline the self to horizontalized interests. By a full verticalization of these tendencies, one transcends the duality of the ambivalent interests. When this is done, such interests become less and less accentuated, as if by a lighter and lighter coloration, and become finally absorbed in terms of a pure mind stuff, chit, in the purer vertical parameter, This process is already foreshadowed in chapter 3, verse 2, where it is seen clearly that real interests have a merely schematic status in the mind of a philosopher. 2. The dynamism of Maya The general overall setting of the dynamism of Maya is found in chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord is endowed with a vague and mysterious attribute, and is able to create things from himself and at the same time exist outside his own creation. In the Bhagavad Gita 2.28, it is further shown how all things remain unmanifest at the beginning and the end and manifested in the middle states. Beings have unmanifested origin and manifested middle states, O Bharata, Arjuna, and again unmanifested terminations. Where is there room for plaint therein? In this chapter, we also find in Narayana Guru's gloss on verse 6, happiness and suffering referred to alternately with reference to the jiva or vital principle. The factor affecting such alternation is maya, which has a dynamism proper to itself and is capable of being accentuated or intensified with a dualism between the pure and practical aspects where it pulsates or alternates in a continuous succession. When such attenuated pulsations are very fast as in the case of electromagnetic pulsations, they tend to get fully absorbed into the vertical and this horizontal conflict becomes unnoticeable. Life when viewed in a perfectly verticalized context Abolishes events such as birth and death, absorbing both into a one-dimensional continuum. Such an interpretation is justified in the Gita, where it shows the two alternative views one may adopt. In Chapter 2, verse 12, everything visible is abolished forever. Further, never was I non-existent nor you nor these chiefs of men, neither shall we, all of us, ever cease becoming hereafter. That is Gita. While in chapter 2, verse 26, an alternating process is presented. Or again, if you should hold this to be constantly ever born or as constantly ever dying, even then, O mighty armed Arjuna, you have no reason to regret it. Such passages show the alternating pulsations of maya as an alternating process accentuated along a verticalized or horizontalized reference. states of happiness or suffering can alternate very quickly or become evident within longer amplitudes within the time factor. Maya is therefore recognizable as the basis of such an alternating process where expansion or contraction of tendencies takes place. In Chapter 2, verse 7 of the Darshanamala, further light is seen to be shed on the implication of the Maya factor with the term Maya Viduram or as something banishing Maya far away. We can divide into minute atoms using a descending method of dialectics, reaching the microscopic world of nuclear physics or we can alternately ascend to the macroscopic world of astronomical plenitude. In both cases, Maya is transcended and left behind. Although this double-sided dynamism does not seem to be possible, according to Shankara's commentary on the Brahma Sutras, nonetheless it is accepted by Narayana Guru. He gives the analytic as well as the synthetic an equal status. The former belongs to the world of perceptibles and the physical science. The latter belongs to the world of concepts in the domain of metaphysics. In the second part of this work, we shall examine the lopsided view taken by Shankara on this matter. For the present, it will suffice to visualize clearly the double-sided dynamism at the basis of its functioning, at the core of the reasoning self, Chidatma. From the pair of antinomian factors held together in the epistemological context where vidya, science and avidya, nisiyans, belong, we can pass vertically downward to the more ontological color domain of the imminent and transcendent similarly held together. Finally, we pass on to the next important serialized item in the analysis of the components of maya where we come to the item called tamas, darkness. We have already pointed out how this darkness is not so thickly laid on as in the previous chapter. We see the error for which the typical example adopted is the analogy of the mother of pearl and the silver appearance instead of the rope snake appearance. This latter analogy explains the fuller perversion of values when Nisians treats the non-self as the self. And thus, epistemologically, the principle of contradiction is more fully admitted for logical purposes. The milder example of the mother-of-pearl and silver appearance is used by Narayana Guru, where the visual mistake does not contain the same epistemological elements of contrast or contradiction between them. In mistaking the self for the non-self, resulting in this perversion of values, the error is more serious. Narayana Guru resembles thus, in his epistemology and methodology, the attitude of Shankara himself. In the more real and ontological terms of pleasure and pain, he is satisfied with the mother-of-pearl example, favored by Ramanuja. Duality can exist in mild or accentuated, subtle or gross forms. Logical duality, implying contradiction, cannot be explained away but ontological duality is capable of being transcended by the mind. The difference in this matter between Shankara and Ramanujam is thus capable of being reconciled by a more scientifically revised absolutist methodology and epistemology.